Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Cast Community Church. I'm Pastor Josh De La Rosa, and today we're beginning a new series of messages looking at the issue of greatness, uh, but, but from a different angle maybe than the way you've observed or thought about this area of greatness. Like, have you ever seen this imagery of the goat? The goat is, is the greatest of all time. It's, it's, it's actually something I'd not heard much about, uh, but I, I keep seeing this. So this is more recent years uh, that I've seen it is this idea of who's the greatest of all time. Often it's tied to a sports figure or someone in entertainment. Essentially, who is the greatest ever to compete or ever to perform? For example, if I were to say, who's the goat of, of football? Who comes to your mind? Who, who is that? Now, likely it's, it's uh, one of, I don't know, two to three people that I would think of. Or what about baseball? Who's the goat of baseball? The greatest of all time. Who, who's the greatest who ever played in baseball? Again, probably one, two, three people maybe, and you're gonna, you're gonna zero in on who you think the goat of baseball is, or basketball. Now, I grew up in, uh, lived as a teenager in the 80s, and so I would probably have to say Michael Jordan for that one. And I know there's debate on that, but he would be the, the goat of basketball in my mind. What about the goat of singing? Let's shift to entertainment for a moment. You know, there's all sorts of singers. Now, who's the greatest of all time? Who do you think? Uh, what about acting? The goat of acting. Best ever. Or, or back to sports. What about tennis? Goat of tennis. Uh, for, for me, uh, I used to think Pete Sampras and then now Roger Federer. You know, he's sort of taken it to a whole nother level. And I mean, that guy was just had in his heyday unstoppable. Or what about the goat among world leaders? The leadership goat. Who, who's that? You see, with all of these different individuals, the goats, they, they climb their way to the top. And that's what goats do. I don't know if you've ever watched a goat climb up a hill. I've been in two different areas where there were goats and mountain goats. And it was fascinating to see where these goats would climb and how they would be sort of perched on these little ledges on a really steep hill. And they could kind of bounce their way or jump their way, leap their way up the hill and they just keep going up and up and up and, and that's the thing with these people that are the the greatest of all time is you just think how in the world do they they make this look so easy like they can just perform wonders with that with that racket or, or with that with that basketball it's amazing what they can do and it's just just when you think they've reached the height of of their career or their abilities they keep going higher and higher and higher and so now, William Shakespeare, he wrote this about greatness. He, he wrote, be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. So what about you? How do you define greatness? The, the world often connects greatness to material possessions, things that we uh, purchase, are able to purchase and, and have, we own, or accomplishments, titles, awards, uh, degrees. I mean, we tend to sort of make those connections to greatness. Now, I think you might be surprised at how Jesus defines greatness in his kingdom. 
There's actually a question that, that I want to look at through this series that Jesus asked him. And it's going to keep coming up. This is going to serve actually as the, the backdrop question for our whole series. And so here's the question. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It's this. So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's greatest? See, the disciples, they wanted to know the answer to this question. And they had a motive. <laughs> their, their question was, it was, it was on their mind often. And so you see this come up a few places in the New Testament uh, where they're having a conversation. And oftentimes the conversation was about who is going to be the greatest. And this was usually accompanied with some bickering, sort of back and forth by Jesus' disciples. It's probably going to be me. No, it's going to be me. Oh, you know, And there would be sort of this jockeying for position amongst the disciples. And so you find that, that dialogue happening with them. Now, Here's the thing. Jesus defined greatness different than the world. And so oftentimes the disciples are looking at the world around them and they they're trying to measure up to the world standards. Now, Jesus, he defined greatness different than the world. And so usually his descriptions of greatness or his response to their bickering would sort of flip upside down the impression that they had. So what I want to do in this series is we're going to consider this question by looking at Jesus' different descriptions of greatness. So we're going to focus on one in particular, one aspect of greatness today. And then in the subsequent weeks, we're going to look at uh, three additional areas or aspects of, of what makes a person great in the kingdom, in God's eyes. What, what matters in God's kingdom? Now, when you study Jesus' teachings, you actually find these four different types of people who Jesus says either are great or will be truly the great ones. These will be the great, the goats, in a sense. And it's a surprising list, okay? So let's look at how Jesus answered their question. Let's look at this question that the disciples asked, but let's place it in the context of Matthew 18 and the story. So we're just going to look at four verses, and this will help us spring into this first area that, that brings greatness. So Matthew 18, verse 1, it reads this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so, and here's the question, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, again, there's a motive there. Remember that. There's a motive. They want to know because they actually desire that position of greatness. Verse 2, he called a child and had him stand among them. Jesus brings over a little child and places them right there in the mix with, with them in their conversation and in their bickering. In verse 3, it says, truly I tell you, he said, Unless you, and he's pointing to the disciples, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, Jesus' description of greatness is different from the world's description of greatness. Because you're like, huh? Small children? Like little tiny children? They're, they're the greatest? I mean, I love my kids. Uh, if you have kids, you probably love your kids, but really, the greatest little children? And what does humility have to do with children? There, there's sort of this passage and what Jesus is saying, and you're like, Jesus, are you doing like a sleight of hand? You're trying to get us to focus over here by not answering our question. What are you actually saying about greatness? So what I want to do is I want to, I want to look more closely at Jesus' words in a moment. So get that imagery in your mind. Jesus describes little children, this little, this little child as someone who's great. 
And then he makes a connection to humility. So but I want you to sort of shift gears for a moment. And think about this. How do you define greatness? You heard Jesus' answer to their question. But how do you define greatness? That's important. I'm, just to honestly sit and to consider that question. How would I answer that? If the disciples asked me that question, or if maybe if you're if you if you're a parent if your children asked you that question, or if uh, your peers were to ask you, you know, what do you think it means to be a great person? How, how would you define it? And are you still working to become the goat in your own world, like amongst your circles? Are you trying to be the greatest of all time on the job, for example? Do you, do you see your career? as a series of sort of stepping stones where, where you're just needing to keep rising and, and hopping up to the next level in your, in your career, on the job. Are people stepping stones? Meaning, do you sort of step on people on the way up if they're blocking your rise? Are you trying to be the goat on the job? Or, or here's another area to consider. Are you trying to be the goat at school, the greatest of all time? Do you, do you have your eyes sort of zeroed in, locked in, at being right at the top of the class, the head of the the, the school, uh, getting that department recognition, uh, making sure everyone on campus, everyone on the teaching staff knows your name. Is that what you're aiming for, to be the goat at school? Or what about this? Are you trying to be the greatest of all time in church life? You want to be the goat church member or the church leader? How, what about you? Are you are you how do you maybe wrestle through that? How, how do you try to gain attention uh, around here at OCC? It's tempting to sort of want to want to leap quickly through an organization. Or what about on your block? On your block, you know, no one walks around and puts ribbons on doors or yard signs that say this is the most beautiful and and manicured yard. Uh, this is the, the, the best neighbor on the block, but do you secretly pride yourself uh, on the impression that you're, that you're making amongst your neighbors? You know, we could just do this over and over. We could think in terms of the greatest of all time and apply it to all sorts of lists and categories. We could just go on and on and on. But I want us to think about that, though. How do you define greatness? And I'll shift back to Jesus' words, okay? Back to Jesus' words, specifically these words here. He says, unless you turn and become like little children. Moving on a little bit later, he writes, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what does he mean here? I mean, we we look at children. Does he mean immature like little children? That that the greatest ones will be immature? That the greatest ones will be... uh, uh, like that they drool, that they're gross, that they're that they don't wash their hands, they don't, that they're simple-minded. Does, is that what he means? Does he mean that the fragile people, because children are really fragile? Does he mean that 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 makes the great ones, or, or what does he really mean? Here's what I think he means in this passage. Have you ever watched a child's face just light up in wonder and amazement? Have you ever done that? It, it, the first time. A small child sees, for example, like a huge airplane, a huge cargo plane. Here in, in, in our area, Riverside, we have these massive cargo planes that circle overhead. We have a, a Air Force base nearby. And so we get to see every day large planes, sometimes fighter jets, but a lot of times we see these giant, massive cargo planes. Those are the planes that, that, uh, that carry 
tanks and, and soldiers and, and other vehicles and, and weapons, and, and they just can carry a massive amount of cargo. And But they're these huge planes, and when they come overhead, since we're so close to the airbase, they, they fly really low over our houses and our neighborhoods. And sometimes... You just you, you stare at them, you know you stare at these giant planes and I, the first time uh, that children see these massive planes go overhead, uh, they might just be looking up and staring in wonder and amazement and just oh, wow and they just take it in. It's like nothing else matters. It's like maybe they were distracted by something else, but now this thing has captured their attention. What about when a child uh, learns they can pick a flower and blow on a flower, or just study a flower and see the intricacy and the the detail in a beautiful flower, and both with the petals or the pollen, or, or, or you know, you have these amazing flowers, and you know, it takes children in. It's, it can just be captivating, and they're just in awe and in wonder of this flower. Children do that. What about the ocean? The first time a child goes to touch the sand and, and they come down and they dip their feet in the, in the water and they're, maybe they're holding a little brother's hand or a parent's hand and they, and they are, are, they're, they're feeling the cold of the ocean, but then they see the power of the waves and they're like, wow. And they're just, they can't believe it. This is amazing. Or they feel the power of the waves, and it's just something that they're experiencing for the first time. Or maybe, maybe it's the first time a child understands and hears that God is powerful. He's not, he's unlimited in his power, and he holds the whole world in his hands, and he made everything, and that he can take care of you. You know, for a child, they, they he he can, he does, he's able to do that. I mean, this is. This is amazing. And so with children, when they're learning about God and his unlimited power and his close personal love, it's just it, it, it impacts a child. And when, when God connects those dots in their mind and they can take that in, it, it can have this huge impact on, on a little child. Well, what happens over time is children grow up. They become adults. And us adults... As we grow up, you know, one of the things that happens to us is, is we grow to the point where we know it all. We, we, we're no longer caught up in wonder. We're no longer caught up in amazement. And the plane goes overhead and you just look up and it's just more of an annoyance. And it's, 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 it's loud. I've seen, you know, you've seen one plane, you've seen them all. I've seen thousands of planes and so, What's the big deal? It's this massive plane. It's it's amazing that, you know, when you start thinking about flight and, and all that is occurring there that with lift and air and you know, ah, for an adult, it's not it's not that big of a deal. For for a child, they're like, Oh, it could do that. Wow, it's amazing. Can I fly? Can I do that? You know, there's something though about adults that we just we we've seen it all. Someone picks a flower and gives it to an adult. doesn't quite have the same effect as it does on a child. You go to the beach and, you know, unless you're just like a really huge beach fanatic, 
you know, it's it's a wave. You know, some some days the waves are bigger than others, and some days they're, uh, you know, there's some neat shape, and some some days the shape's good, and people can surf the waves. And what's the big deal? It's 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 a wave. So adults, you know, we often just we decide to act like grown-ups. We're mature. We 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 know what we need to know. Well, humility. Jesus calls a little child, stands among them, and he says, unless you become like this little child, unless you turn, essentially, you turn away from some things, some mindsets, and you become like this little child. There's something about that he's describing. You know, and then he, he describes the, hum, the humility of a child, whoever humbles himself like this child. There's something, there's something humble about a child. You see, humility is where we take our proper place, and we admit we don't know it all. That's why children can go, wow, that's amazing. I'm down here on earth. I'm standing on the ground. This thing's up in the air. It's, a, it's great. This is amazing. And they're, they're taking it in, and, and they're taking their proper place. And on and on, like, wow, I'm holding this thing that someone made, that God made, this flower. I see this bird that God made. I see these mountains that God made. I see this other animal that God made. I see these people that God, wow. See, humility is where we take our proper place and we admit we just don't know it all. We didn't put all this together. We're finite. We're human. We're dependent. See, sometimes we choose humility like a child, like we choose to humble ourselves. Sometimes we lose status and we get humbled in life. As we'll see, humility is a choice. I remember a, a season where I kept getting humbled by every authority figure I was relating to. I began to recognize a pattern, and it sort of went this way. Uh, I had my first job, actually it was in college, my first sort of serious job in college, and I had a boss, I had a, a leader who was over me, and, I, and pretty quickly I determined that I knew better than my boss. And eventually, I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I needed to be with someone who would give me the status that I thought I deserved, and so I moved on from that setting. And I got a new job, came with a new boss, new leader. But quickly, I, I, I hit a point again where I thought, I know better. Eventually, I couldn't take it any longer, and I, I needed to be in a place where I was given the level of status and influence that I thought I deserved, and so I left that job, and I got another job, and I, I got a new boss, and guess what? It just kept happening. I just kept experiencing the same pattern. I finally realized that God was teaching me humility through my jobs and my interactions with my bosses. You see, I had decided I was an adult, and, I, and nobody tells me what to do. I know what to do. I know what, I know it all and and really I was being prideful and what kept happening was I kept learning I kept learning that no I didn't know it all and people kept trying to instruct me but I was making it hard well God just kept recycling the opportunity for me to learn to humble myself until I would learn it and as a decision humility is both an attitude and a way of life and so humility is it's this it's a voluntary act of respect and deference to others. You defer yourself to others. So I want to look at some verses to really help us better understand uh, humility. Because Jesus is saying this quality, this this choice to humble ourselves is very powerful. It's actually the key 
One of the keys to greatness. So humility, it's a voluntary act of respect and deference to others. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Before I read the verse, I want you to, to understand this is from Peter, one of those who uh, was close to Jesus, heard the bickering, maybe in his own mind thought, I'm a big deal, and and maybe I'll be one of the great ones in in the kingdom of heaven. So he heard Jesus' teaching, but the thing about the disciples was the bickering just continued. Okay, let's look at 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It reads this, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. You see, it doesn't come naturally to humble yourself, to choose humility. It doesn't. Just like you have to decide what you're going to wear in the morning, you did that today. You decided, okay, here's what I'm going to put on today. Uh, you actually have to make the choice. It's outside of us. It's not a natural. We just don't. We just don't wake up humble. We actually have to choose humility. You make a decision, and in all, oftentimes it comes up over and over and over. So now Luke's account. So going back to Jesus' description of the little child, Luke. One of the other other uh, gospel writers, one of the others who wrote of Jesus's uh, life, Luke captures uh, this same bickering between the disciples. And just I just want to tell you a little about the context of where uh, this story fits chronologically in the ministry of Jesus. So you've got this situation in Luke nine where the disciples are, are bickering, they're arguing about who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom, and. And Jesus actually tells them what he said. He says, unless you become like one of these little children, you know, that's, that, that's the core issue here. You need to humble yourself like a child. Stop, uh, believing you know it all. Instead, Jesus is saying, look, you should have a competition of who should take the humble seat. Who, who should take the lowest position? I mean, Jesus starts challenging this issue of humility. He said, this quality is going to be a marker of, of those who are great in the kingdom. And they're sort of shocked to hear that, I think, because uh, that's not what they wanted to hear. It's not what they had in mind. It's not what the world around them is putting on display. If you go a little further in Luke, and I'm just going to let you know some of the storyline in Luke. After his encounter with, with his disciples, he basically is preparing his disciples for uh, the journey that they're going to go on. So he's teaching them. He's getting them prepared uh, for uh, ministry. And what happens is the first place that they go, uh, there's a group of people that didn't welcome the disciples. And they're, they're pretty frustrated. James and John in particular really frustrated that people didn't sort of roll out the red carpet for them and welcome them. And so James and John basically, you know, asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to sort of call fire down from heaven and consume all these people that just I didn't welcome us. I mean, you can already see their posture. They're not, they're not, they, they think, uh, everyone needs to listen to our words. So as they're traveling from town to town, they're sort of expecting a certain reception and they experience something very different. And Jesus had just taught them about humility. Humble themselves. Take a humble posture. They're about to do ministry and they're gonna, they're gonna be dealing with all sorts of people. Moving to the next chapter in Luke 10, you'll read, if you read that, for yourself, you can see how uh, the, the the disciples actually go into 
uh, in pairs, and as they're going into pairs, heading into towns, uh, people, some people receive them, some people reject them. They reject them because of their message. They weren't welcome to every place because of their message. Again, they're surprised at this. Jesus is teaching them a lesson. Humble yourself. Later on, Luke uh, 10, there's a point where they're doing ministry and they, they come back from their ministry and, and they're sharing the highs and the lows. Jesus, these people were responsive, these people weren't. And they said, you know what, Jesus? Even the demons submit to us in your name. When we, when we come in Jesus' name, there's power in Jesus' name. And they're basically saying, Jesus, even the, even the demons submit to us in your name. And, and Jesus basically says, look, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's actually, because they're pretty proud of themselves. I can just imagine the disciples. Wow, we have power over the supernatural. We're kind of a big deal now. We've hit another level. We've really grown up. We're pretty mature. Well, Jesus actually tells them, why don't you shift your focus to gratitude? Your names, he tells them, don't just rejoice that the spirits submit themselves to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your, your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, look, shift your focus from uh, greatness to gratitude. It's so interesting. I see this in a few chapters in Luke, right around where he's teaching them about humbling themselves like a little child and taking a different posture. I see the context being really significant. Right before it, they're bickering. Right after they get the teaching, they're out there being proud of themselves. Clearly, the disciples weren't getting the message. They just didn't get it. It took teaching after teaching after teaching, and they just still, they weren't getting this message because there's something native in our hearts to where we just sort of puff ourselves up in greatness and try to climb to become the greatest of all time. And so, maybe you're asking, how does this help me today in my real life? What does this really look like? How do I, how do I implement this into my real world? So humility involves three things, position, respect, and service. So first, let's look at it. Position. Humility involves, I take a lower position. You see, the world is saying you need to climb the ladder quickly. You need to jump quickly. If you got to step on people, you got to step on people. It's just sort of casualties of, of your rise. Well, humility is I mentally, I choose in my mind a lower position towards God. I choose a lower position towards the leader over me. I choose a lower position towards my family members. And I choose a lower position towards my friends. I just keep choosing in my environments to take a lower position. And if I find myself having a higher formal position, then what I do is I set my heart, really, to use that position to serve the company, serve my church family, not to just use my position to bully so I can get everyone to do what I want. I don't use my position to get my way. See, that's the wrestling of a humble person. They choose to take a lower position. They take steps down. Second thing, humility involves respect. I choose to show self-respect, not cutting them down in my mind, not judging every word or action or showing indifference. No, I choose to, to be respectful of the people in my life. Third area Service. I serve with goodwill. You know, it's, it's, it's normal to want what's best for us, but humility does what's helpful for others. It's, it's really thinking about the good of the other. I don't do everything I could do, like, for everyone. I don't have enough time in the day to meet all 
the needs of everyone around me, neither do you. You know, I all have, we all have our own stuff to be faithful in, but I seek to be doing good in service to others. Out of, out of, really out of humility, I choose kindness. You know what's interesting? With even all the teaching that Jesus did and all of the correcting of their, their wrong perspective, the disciples never really grasped what Jesus was laying down about humility. And so he had to take it one step further. Jesus modeled true humility. Jesus kept taking steps down and down and down to the lowest place possible. He went beyond just teaching about it, and he made some hard decisions that proved his his words were true and that the humble path was the right way. So look at Philippians 2, verse 5 through 9. Paul writes, this is much later after Jesus has, has already uh, went to the cross, resurrected. This is you know, many years after the church has been birthed and has been growing. Paul's writing back to one of the churches that, that sprouted up in the Roman Empire. Uh, this is Philippians 2, 5, reads this. Adopt, he's writing, the church leader Paul's writing this to, to this church, and he writes, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Man, what a powerful picture. God of the universe comes humbly, serves faithfully. So, verse 7, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, that's really important, Because of these steps down that he took, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. What a powerful, powerful picture. God of the universe comes to earth humbly, serves faithfully, and dies willingly in our place. And now he's given the highest name and title. He's exalted to the highest place. Matthew 23, verse 12 uh, Look at what Matthew has to say. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I love this verse. It gets to the heart of humility. It's, 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 it's so direct. And sometimes we need a direct word from God. And So here are our options. That verse basically says, if I exalt myself, I either get humbled or sometimes we get humiliated. Both of those options are pretty painful for us. The other option is, I choose humility. I humble myself. And it says that that's that's what God does to exalt a person. For those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. The language there in Matthew 23, 12, it's, it's, this is what will happen. It's just a matter of time. It goes different directions. We either get humbled, humiliated, or we choose humility and God exalts us in his time. So we've all got a choice to make on this one. The choice is, will I believe what Jesus said, or will I take matters into my own hands? After all, I'm an adult. I know what's best. See, dads and moms often define success for us. We pay so much attention to the parents in our life. I want you to take a look at a video clip from a movie called When the Game Stands Tall. It's a story of the De La Salle football team, who they had the longest still hold the longest winning streak for high school football was over 12 years. It's a Catholic high school 
And I want you to listen carefully. It's, it's, it's important to just listen carefully to the beginning. Uh, there's a dialogue here between a father and a son where they bump into their coach. And I want you to see uh, this exchange. Hey, Coach, great game Friday. Three more touchdowns for the Beast. Yeah, he played well. Whole team did. What's up? Get ready to break that scoring record. Got a place for the trophy all picked out. Hey, Mickey? Yeah. Did Chris show you the thesis he wrote for my class on Matthew 23:12? Amazingly insightful for someone his age. Really terrific. You should read it. Matthew 23:12. Seriously? What's he talking about? We're on our way to a championship. State record. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Exalted? Yeah. You get 37 touchdowns in a the season, then you'll be exalted. So the dad is saying, humility? <laughs> really? He, he doesn't trust that. He doesn't trust the coach's advice. He thinks there's another way. He said, if you want to be exalted in life, you've got to go and take it. He's telling his son, go and take it. You see, it's because it seems like the path of humility is going to take us nowhere. It seems like, honestly, it's going to take us down and out. It seems way too risky to choose humility. I mean, in the real world, maybe for a season or for a week, but to live a life of humility, it just doesn't seem like it's going to deliver or it's going to, I don't know if I could trust what Jesus has to say. It seems like if I if I keep going down the humble course, it seems like I'll be losing I'll be a loser, and ultimately, I'm going to miss out, get ripped off. And so we all have to decide on this one. Will we follow the world's path to greatness, or will we trust Jesus and what he says leads to greatness? And parents and grandparents, you are defining greatness for your kids and for your grandkids through your lives, through your patterns, through your choices. Consider carefully how you move forward. It, it is important your example and it will make a difference also if you're a student and you're watching you're you're right on the front end of so much that's going to happen in life and i want to encourage you choose wisely in this area of how you see yourself humility has a lot to do with how we see ourselves in the mirror and how we see ourselves in relation to the people around you overall i think we're going to be really surprised in heaven as to who are the great ones so Let's all choose to wrap our minds around this uh, focus on living lives of humility. Let's, let's, let's aim to choose it even this week. I want to encourage you to come back and check out what we're saying in the next several weeks as we look further into what Jesus said it meant to be one of the great ones. And so here's some next steps to consider. The first one is this. Would you consider putting others first this week specifically? We want to just encourage you to think about what would it look like for you to do that, for you to put others first this week. Maybe personalize that for yourself. Second, just admit, where have I been proud? And then ask God to help. Third thing is, is, to, is would you consider coming back next week and, and taking in next week's message? And, and I'd encourage you to, to come on out to meet some people at our church live we meet at Orange Terrace Community Center in Riverside. We'd love to see you. I have an inside venue and an outside venue. And so, hey, let's pray together as we wrap things up. Father, thank you for this time as we've looked in your word. Thank you for uh, the teaching of Jesus that challenges our native way of doing life. It's, it comes so naturally for us to, 
to try to just go up and up and up in the way that we live and and in our pride and in our uh, adult maturity to think uh, we 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 have all that we need and now the world needs us but god that is so backwards to the way that jesus lived and taught and so thank you for challenging us with uh, your word thank you for Jesus' teaching on the matter. Help us to be open to now applying this to our lives uh, this very week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.